Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. This weekend, we celebrated, as a church, Beautiful Day. It's a beautiful day. Now, if you are familiar, last weekend, we actually shut down our services, and we said we're not going to have services as we traditionally do, where we come into a building, and we hear a message, and we worship, and we take communion, et cetera, et cetera. We are actually going to take one weekend, one of the 52, and we're going to go out into the community and serve at a variety of high-impact service projects across the city. We call this Beautiful Day. It's a beautiful day. In this past weekend, 1,380 congregants from Westgate Church went out and donated more than 5,000 volunteer hours to 18 different service projects, high-impact service projects across the city. Now, one four-hour shift from one person might not seem like a lot, but taken collectively together, that adds up to quite a bit of impact. And this weekend, we got to kind of celebrate the impact, not to toot our own horn, but to remind ourselves that we're partnering with some incredible ministries that are doing some really frontline work, and we get to support them. And it feels really good to realize that when we come together and we give of our, of our time, it can make a real impact. I'm reminded of when I was in college, I studied under John Dittmer at DePaul University. John Dittmer was a, a kind of famous historian, and he was my history professor, and he was in charge of the history department at my school. And one of the things that he taught is he wrote a book called Local People, and he studied the civil rights movement, not from the perspective as is traditionally taught in the civil rights movement, where people focus on the Supreme Court or Martin Luther King or the leadership or the titans of that era, the president, the Supreme Court, Martin Luther King, etc., but rather he focused on little people, local people in these states who did little things, little actions that, that brought about the civil rights movement. Incredibly courageous and brave and strong people who acted in their local communities. People who are generally forgotten, not remembered by history, who worked for justice and peace and love and mercy and actually began to transform this nation because of the civil rights movement. That was his thesis. It was local people that make an impact. It's local people, little tiny movements started the grassroots. I'm also reminded in the book of Exodus when uh, there's these two women who defy the Pharaoh's orders. The Pharaoh is this genocidal, homicidal maniac who has enslaved these people. He's afraid of the population, so he tells the midwives to kill all the male children that come out and to let the females live. He's afraid of some sort of uprising, and these these midwives defy the order, and they say, no, we're not going to do that. So they help the Hebrew women give birth, and then when they give a report, he says, hey, are you are you killing these babies? They say, no, actually. Um, they say these Hebrew women, they give birth so quickly, uh, they're gone by— well, they're just gone by the time we get there. And uh, I find it interesting that in that story, Shipra and Pua are the names of these two Hebrew midwives. God makes sure to record their names, but the name of the Pharaoh, it's not recorded. He's the most powerful man in the entire known universe at that point. He's, he's the ruler, the Pharaoh of this giant empire. God doesn't record his name, but records the name of these two women who faithfully listen to God, and refuse to obey the Pharaoh. It's a small act, but God sees and God remembers, and it has giant consequences. The whole point is that it's little things, little things and little people being faithful in little places to a great big God, and God can take that and magnify that in ways that we can't even 
imagine, that we dare not underestimate. This week, we're going to be getting into um, a, a part of Scripture where Jesus makes a similar point. In fact, almost an identical point. It's in Matthew 13, and he gives five parables in a row of what the kingdom of God is like. And two of them we're going to focus on today, uh, two parables that Jesus tells about how the kingdom is like a mustard seed and a little piece of yeast. And so we're going to examine what that looks like. I've got Finney Abraham here in the studio. He is back for the second week. Finney is our local compassion pastor, and he's going to be explaining uh, and going through Matthew 13. We're going to talk through it together. And then at the end of this, I'm going to play a little clip from uh, just about a year ago, a year ago, uh, during our Abraham series, I did a kind of a deep dive into Matthew 13. And so I have included a little clip, just a brief clip of that end of that message, because it was one of my favorite parts of the Abraham book where I talked about yeast. And so we're going to be talking uh, about that. So that's a little extra gift for all of you if you want to stick around after Finney and I's conversation to that little extra, um, it's a, let's just say it's a, a, an added bonus for, for all of you paying subscribers. No one's paying. It's a little extra gift for all of you who are listening to the afterwards. So with that, let's just dive right in. All right, you ready for part two? Let's do it. Finney, back in the studio. You got to spend back-to-back, back-to-back times with me. I'm sorry. Your week has been destroyed. You got to spend all this time with me. It's good. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun talking to you. Okay. So this past weekend was a beautiful day celebration, uh, but I wanted to take some time and nerd out on some Bible stuff because hmm. we shared last week, we shared some stories about beautiful day, about its impact, about what it means to be good. Let's nerd out a little bit because this week, our primary text was in Matthew 13, mm-hmm. and it was uh, the parable of the mustard seed. That's where we kind of parked. But there's some really neat things going on in Matthew 13 in general, mm-hmm. and in general in the book of Matthew, because Matthew, a lot of his parables are trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like. So first of all, I guess we need a working definition for the kingdom of God. So right. do you have one? When you think about the kingdom of God, because yeah. that's a strange term. Absolutely. So how do you how do you think about the kingdom of God? Yeah, uh, kingdom of God is, uh, in my understanding, and also I think so pretty much what uh, Matthew and others would say, is this um, experience that God is bringing his shalom to a broken uh, world because of a sin. And God's reign is actually coming into this broken world um, as Jesus, um, you know, comes to this world. And uh, there are sprouts of this happens in any part of human condition or in the world when people live by the values of of Jesus, uh, when they behave, act, believe uh, like Jesus. There are sprouts of these behaviors happen in communities that uh, so anyone who 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 submits mm-hmm. to the lordship of of Jesus and then tries to live like him follow him yeah yeah sprouts of that happen so i think there are examples of that is um, so this is genesis language is what right. it is cuz in the beginning they call it the you know the cultural mandate the idea that the humans are created to be image bearing blessable covenant partners 
who partner together with God to bring about the goodness of of God's rule here mm-hmm. on earth. They're mm-hmm. co-regents is a word that makes us sound like we're also king. That's not what we're more like representatives, mm-hmm. but of of the true king of of God. Right. That's kind of what Genesis is about. That right. humans can actually partner with God to bring about God's good rule. Yeah. And that's and, the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But the first part is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth yeah. as it is now. And it's fascinating that God would choose sinful, broken people <laughs> to yeah. do his work. It's incredible. And for those kind of kingdom values to be sprouted out. So, for example, even in our time, um, when people are uh, genuinely repenting, kingdom of God is present. When people are genuinely taking care of the poor, the widow, uh, the stranger, uh, kingdom of God has come in there. When people are genuinely able to forgive a person who have done wrong to them, that is kingdom stuff. I, it's difficult to forgive someone who has done wrong to you. It doesn't happen in the normal world. Right. But Jesus is telling you can do that with uh, his power. And when that happens... That's the kingdom of God. So in, 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 in short, I would say God reinstating his shalom to a broken world and God's reign breaking into this world through Jesus um, is the experience of the kingdom of heaven. Right. And then humans can somehow amazingly partner with Jesus as he brings this. That's the grace, yeah. grace that God So provides. Jesus in Matthew 13 tells like, a f- like what, five parables right in a row mm-hmm. of about what the kingdom's like. It's And it starts with the famous one. The, the parable of the four types of soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the scattering of the seed. There's four soils. Uh, and then it goes into the next one, which is the parable of the weeds, which is um, the kingdom of heaven's like a man who sowed good seed, but then an enemy came and sowed some weeds, so there's some spiritual warfare there. Mm-hmm. And, and then it goes into the parable of the mustard seed, and then it goes into the parable of yeast, mm-hmm. and then it goes into the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of le- each one of these is is slightly different. But you focused on the mustard. I'm, we're just trying to give a little bit of the context here, right? For that, you focused on the parable of the mustard seed. That's right. So as you were going through this, kind of what did you <laughs> learn about yeah. the mustard seed here? Yeah, and, no, it's also interesting. It's both the mustard seed and the yeast parable is 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 c- close in each other, but there's a very similar. Uh, theme that happens. In and that's smallness, you were saying. Exactly. Right. So talk uh, about that. Uh, you know, it's almost God, uh, Jesus redefining uh, for that culture who uh, did not consider any value for anything small, um, who completely disregarded, uh, for example, humans who were disabled or children or women or um, in, you know, in any way. Um, not clean, for example, the women who was going through bleeding, right? All these stories are examples of how that community, the culture there devalued anything that was small or not good, right? And Jesus says in in his kingdom, uh, doesn't matter if it is small or big, God can use anything to do something amazing and powerful in his way, uh, that would uh, accomplish kingdom values in this in this in this uh, in this system in this value system that we live in, um, and so you know a couple of things about uh, about mustard seed. There are actually smaller seeds than the mustard seed. 
but it is biologically, a, botanically. You're saying yes. Okay. There are. Do you know what they are? I don't know the names of it, but I don't know either. Yeah, I mean, it's but just, botanically, it's not the smallest seed, but it it's is, one of the smallest. It is one of the smallest seeds. It's not the smallest. Have you seen a mustard seed? Yeah, it is. It is really they're, small. They're tiny. It is very, very small. Very, very small. Yeah, I should. I should. Um, yeah, we should pass those out to everybody so they'd be like, "What the heck? This is tiny," <laughs> and then it we'll is. have mustard stains all in our congregation. It would be bad. Uh, yeah, no, there are other seeds that are even smaller. But what what Jesus was doing, uh, you know, he was giving a, a a parable that at that in that time in the culture, it was known mustard was the example for anything smallest. Sure, smallest you go to mustard, right? And so he was taking a very well known uh, view of small uh, with this whole thing with mustard. And again, uh, it also talks about it becomes a big plant, uh, a big tree. Uh, but in in um, in uh, Israel. This is like shrub. You know, it probably... So the English translation kind of hurts us a little bit? No, I don't think so. It's a translation at all. I I, I think even plant tree is exactly, I think, what uh, Jesus meant and uh, what he was telling. But it is not the way in which we would see as a cedar tree, which is majestic and big and powerful. Not like a sequoia or a a redwood. Yeah, these are maximum about six feet or seven feet or even probably 10 feet plant that, 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 that grows. But the powerful thing about this is it is invasive. Like it, it spreads. So once it germinates, it's so powerful that it spreads. Um, so, so it's like an invasive species, like ivy. It just kind of takes over everything. It does. Like and, those and hedges that you see in, yeah. And it also says it is the largest of garden plant plants. Ah, I so see. So it's it it is. It just takes over. Yeah, it just takes over, and it's not anything like cedar trees or other things. It's it not is, like redwoods or sequoias. Exactly. It, it's like an invasive shrub plant. Yes. Yeah. And and this is actually highlighting uh, to you know hyperlinking towards Ezekiel chapter seventeen verses twenty three. Where um, the verse that you're you're referencing the hyperlink is the part about the uh, is, is what part? It is about the cedar tree stuff where where it talks about the same same idea that uh, you know at the end of read the that, day, read read the verse read, yeah, read so Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter seventeen Ezekiel um, twenty five seventeen no I'm not I'm kidding no. No. Ezekiel seventeen verse twenty three. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. So that's the hyperlink back that yep. Jesus is referring to. But that's a verse actually <laughs> yep. about him. Yep. It's about the Messiah. Exactly. Right. And But here's the thing, right? So he's talking this to a group of people who have... Ezekiel that, is. Uh, no, Jesus. Oh, Jesus is. is. Here oh. is talking I see. to a group of people who already know this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's they're thinking that they're this, Jewish. Yeah. This is how the Messiah is going to come. So this they is, think, when they think the kingdom of king, God, they exactly. think a giant sequoia cedar right. tree. Right. And, and by the way, Jesus is that. Right. But they think it's going to be bigger than Rome. Yeah. That's how they're going to be experiencing yeah. it. And Jesus is like, think less cedar tree that's me yeah you guys are actually yeah. going to be more like invasive ivy <laughs> yeah and 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 what he's telling well he's he's shaping their view of kingdom of god very differently right so he's telling kingdom of god is not going to be like the cedar tree it's going to be like mustard tree yeah and a bunch of small sparrows and others are going to actually and sparrows sh- are worthless too right Again, uh, worthless small things and he's telling though when you find value in those things, and when you serve those things, uh, you're doing kingdom of God stuff, right? That's what Jesus is trying to tell you. The here. kingdom of God isn't 
Rome and its powerful empire. Mm-hmm. It's the care of God for even the tiniest, least of exactly. these. Absolutely. Uh, it's available to everyone, no matter how poor mm-hmm. or how forgotten or how left out. Or how rich you are. Or how rich. It yes. doesn't matter. Right. But but Jesus does this often. He'll take the smallest example. Mm-hmm. Um, he did it. Uh, he'll do it in Matthew 7. When he talks about worry, he's like, you know, think about the sparrow. Right. God loves and cares for this thing. Mm-hmm. How much more valuable? So he goes small in order to show the teleological end. Right. Here he's going small. If it's a mustard seed can do all this. Yeah. Think yeah. about your faith, your your allegiance. And faith here is a, a crucial word. We talk about faith all the time because it's a weird word. Mm-hmm. I actually don't like the word faith in English. Mm-hmm. The, the It's from... It, the word pistis, pistis uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And it may, it basically has two sides of the coin. It's trust, mm. um, but it's also loyalty or allegiance. Mm. There's a, there's some king edges to this. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I read the word faith in the scriptures, I, I tra- in the New Testament, I translate it as loyalty and allegiance. Allegiance is the word that helps me because mm-hmm. it, it implies a king, mm-hmm. and I like that. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like that. They like loyalty, loyalty to God. It doesn't matter. Whatever... Whatever helps you most. Yeah. And in, a, in another gospel, actually, it says if you have faith like a mustard seed, uh, God can move things. Absolutely. So, so what it's telling is not... Just a little bit of trust. Right. So <laughs> a little bit of trust in a very big God. Yes, yes. Right? Uh, not, we, not on the opposite yeah. side. Yes. Usually people think a lot of trust in some God. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about a little bit genuine trust and faith yeah. in a great big God. Yeah. And I think that is what it reminds happened. me of the guy who says, uh, I "Help! I, I want to believe, but help my unbelief." Right? right it's like, right. Yeah, "Please help me! I, I, can I get? A, I only have a little bit." And Jesus is like, "Bring it!" And I think that is what we were trying to embody with our serving in the, in the community. Oh yeah, it's like you know, if you plant these small little seed um, of kindness and generosity and goodness and compassion in our communities, um, and if it germinates in the right place in the right land, God can use something very powerful with it and do only what he can do, uh, which, which would last for eternity. Right. You know, right. We're not, this he's going to grow. He's going to, he's in charge of the impact. Right. Um, our job is to bring, and it reminds me, there's so many times when Jesus says, Hey, bring what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the boy with the fish and the loaves, mm-hmm. um, the woman with the two coins. Right. Um, uh, it's like, there's a, there's a sense in which Jesus is inviting us to bring, um, yeah. All that we have, yeah. whatever, and even if it feels small or right. insignificant or dumb, mm-hmm. there's really no, no telling the impact that can have. Yeah, yeah, and this this actually goes really close to one of the things that uh, Jay um, recently talks about, right? I mean, he was talking about how, uh, you know, our uh, living out this life for the next few months is going to look. Uh, mostly belonging and serving, yeah, right. And many of us, like I have three kids under three, and uh, you know, we sometimes think that oh, I probably I get a pass because I have kids. Like, but I think so. What the scripture is telling, just do what you can, do what you can in this season of life, right? Yeah. But that that requires for me to have uh, uh, priority, right, and not just to think that oh, it's 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 okay. I mean, it's okay. No one, God is not going to judge me based on what I'm doing. But it, it means that I can in some way do what I can do and God can use that in a powerful way. Yeah. You know, there's this this quote that I'm actually I'm using in the sermon. It says, uh, great things done by a se- uh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Right. Usually Who said the, that? Uh, Vincent Van Gogh. The the artist. Right. Oh. 
right? So great things are done by a series of small things put together. So usually we yeah. think that, you know, big things have to be done, you know, this big way. I have to invest this much and this much in time and all yeah, of that. Yeah, our culture values big. I mean, big. think Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. and uh, empires, the Roman Empire, I think, is big. And th- so we we study in history big, right? Right. But if you think about it, a lot of the biggest impact in this world is done by small. Think about an Albanian woman right. who devoted her life to the service of helping people die well in Calcutta. Mother Teresa. Exactly. And the world knows her mm-hmm. because she helped insignificant people yeah. in the world's eyes yeah. die mm-hmm. with dignity. Yeah. She that, has a, she has an amazing code that said, uh, great things done, uh, small things done with great love. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, she said, you can't do great things. You can only do small things mm-hmm. with great love. That's right. Um, which is, again, an invitation for us. Yeah. And yeah, here's the thing, as we just uh, probably, you know, conclude, this, the, the fascinating part about this whole stuff is, uh, you know, in the coming few chapters, the gospel writer in Matthew will be showing how um, the creator God, the son of God, you know, uh, in many ways, holy one, no sin has touched him, uh, the darling of heaven, Jesus becomes an insignificant seed. A peasant yes. born to nobody's slave in a forgotten corner right. of an occupied right. people group under a giant oppressive empire. And takes the death of a criminal. Yeah. Right? And takes sin. A person who has no sin takes that on our behalf. And he is usually people who are killed in on a cross is is the most insignificant and the worst criminals. And they are put into this place of absolute, uh, you know, everyone abandons, no one even goes there. But but Jesus, uh, you know, yeah, gets a pretty dignified uh, burial because of uh, because of a person. You know, his death was so uh, seen as this, the worst uh, that could be out there. All of this to signify that God became poor and insignificant and not valued and what happens is in the third day uh god raised him up from the dead man and maybe the best example of a mustard seed right 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 uh, it reminds me of what paul puts in um in the book of philippians he says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset of mm-hmm. christ mm-hmm. who being in the very nature god mm-hmm. did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage or grabbed onto. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant mm-hmm. uh, and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's the smallness. That's the descent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then Paul doesn't end there. He says, therefore, mm-hmm. what did God do with this smallness? Yeah. He exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every other name, you know, and through the, him, yeah, all of us, yeah, and so this is the beauty of what Jesus is trying to say: is Jesus was not just teaching it; he embodied it, he lived it. That's great, and he showed. And I think so. The the invitation for us is, um, whatever you have, uh, bring it all to God, right? Uh, now, uh, many folks who have a lot, it's very difficult to bring it all, right? Uh, many folks who have less to try to you know try to protect it. But what Jesus is trying to say, it doesn't matter if it's big or small. 
just bring yourself uh, as you are and God would do some amazing things. And that is an example of everything we do outside the walls of it's the It's really church. hope-filling. It's really, it really fills me with hope because it means that no matter what your gifts are, no matter how you're built, mm-hmm. if, again, the faith, faith is small as a mustard seed, the mm-hmm. trust that God is who he says he is and that he's good, he'll take care of us, and allegiance mm-hmm. that he's our number one priority, he's our king, he's the king. We, we get that. If we, if we move in that and we give our lives, there's really no knowing. Mm-hmm. There's no way to know the impact that's going to have. Right. This side of heaven. Mm-hmm. And that to me is incredibly inspiring because the world does value big mm-hmm. and only a few people get that big. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not LeBron James. I'm not Jeff Bezos. I'm not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not a Hollywood actor. Mm-hmm. I don't have big. I'm not a giant cultural cedar tree. I don't have a big platform. I don't have millions of Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so therefore I'm insignificant. But God in this parable, Jesus is saying, no, insignificance. Oh, you have no idea what God can do. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. You have no idea. And that, to me, is is really hope-filled. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a reminder, even in this uh, this beautiful day, a couple 1,380 people gave four hours, which isn't that much. Mm-hmm. It's not that much. Right. But it together is an invasive vine of beauty and grace and truth and it's just a it's yeah. it spreads through the city like a good virus. I right. probably shouldn't use that analogy. Right. No, but here's the thing. As we end, let me tell you one last thing. Okay. I, I also do think this has um, this is also a warning. Oh, right. So this is not just about you know God does amazing things with small. <clears throat> this is also a warning. Sometimes we just feel um, you know one small act, right, of wrong. <clears throat> I just watched one small bad thing. Ah, it's okay. It's just one time, right? Um, I just took that one small drink. It's okay. It is so fascinating how one small thing can turn into this giant bad stuff that you don't. Oh, want. you're talking about the opposite, right? And so right. sin is also an invasive. Absolutely. Line. Yeah, and right. I think we've all seen that. Yeah. yeah, and so parable. That's a power of parable. That's a power of a story, that it has all these multiple stories around it. So while there is this very extremely positive view of that, there's also the other side of it that, um, yeah, sin is crawling next to your door and its interest is on you and small stuff can can turn into something large that Absolutely. can mess the whole thing up. Yeah. So, um, so don't not value small. <sighs> Be careful. That's really good. That's really good. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a good word, Finney. Yeah. All right, well... There's nothing really small about me, Finney. So um, I'm I'm glad. Uh, uh, so I'm grateful for your your word. And if you're listening, and and you felt like so many of us have that you're not big, you're not a towering cedar. Um, that's okay. There is one towering cedar in humanity. It's Jesus. Right. And we can be tiny mustard seeds. Of Christians who believe, who have faith, who have loyalty and allegiance to King Jesus, and he can do incredible things with our lives beyond the scope of our wildest imaginations Mm. to bring good into the world and to connect us as this invasive vine of goodness uh, of God's kingdom. Powerful, prophetic word. Uh, Really grateful for you. Thanks for that, Finney. Thanks for that work. And it was cool nerding out on Matthew 13. Uh, We're going to get to Matthew 13. Uh, Like in two years? Uh, Maybe more. (laughs) 
We're going through the book of Matthew, if you know. We're starting uh, the book of Matthew next week. We're going to get into Matthew 7, so we're halfway there. It's only taken two years. Uh, I think we might get to Matthew 13 in 2027. Uh, hope, hope, we, hope you can listen to us even that time. Oh, yeah. oh man, we're going. Uh, we're going to have to speed up. Or people are going to start dying before we get to the end of the resurrection of Christ. Oh, man. Jay, if you're listening, uh, maybe we can pick up the pace. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Finney, for nerding out. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Finney Abraham for stopping by. Join us next week as we dive into the book of Matthew. Well, technically we're in the book of Matthew today in Matthew 13. We're going to go backwards to Matthew chapter 7, and we are going to start our fourth season of Matthew. So... Join us for that next week. And if you'd like to stick around, I've included at the end of this podcast a little clip from a sermon given just about a year ago on October 31st, 2021, at the end of our Abraham series, in which we talk about Matthew 13 and this very unique phrase that Jesus uses to talk about the kingdom of God. He uses a phrase very unique. He says, the kingdom of God's like a little bit of yeast that worked its way through three Sia's a flower, Sia, S-E-A-H. It's an ancient unit of measurement, but that's a really f- strange phrase, three Sia's of flower. And a lot of biblical commentators and people who study this say this is a deliberate hyperlink to the very first time that that exact phrase is used, three Sia's of flower, which is back in the story of, in, in Genesis, in the story of Abraham, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the story of Sodom and Gomorrah actually helps illuminate, helps us understand what Jesus means when he says that yeast can actually leaven a whole bunch of flour. It was really fun for me to study this. It was really powerful for me as I was writing the book. And so I hope that um, it, it means something to you. So hope it helps. Thanks for listening. They have committed such atrocity. I have to stand against it. He says, get out of the city. And Lot has to be dragged by some angels out of the city. And they only give one instruction, don't look back in grief. Don't, and what does his wife do? She looks back, do you see, they have been in Sodom for so long, experiencing such wealth, such prosperity, that something has happened. They've lost their way. Which leads us to a couple of thoughts. There's a couple options when you're living in a city that's wicked. <laughs> You can conform to the city and become wicked yourself like Lot. That's one option, right? That's called um, not good. (laughs) Conforming is one option. Another option is you can just flee, run away, leave the city. That uh, sounds good, right? You're supposed to flee from sin, right? That makes sense. And we are supposed to flee from sin. But that's not the option that Abraham presents. Even now I hear people say, we need just to get out of this city. We need to get out of California. It's too sinful. It's too godless. We need to go to a place where there's no sin. Good luck. (laughs) Seriously, good luck. Seriously, good luck. There's no such place. And there's the third option, which Abraham makes possible, and that is... You could leaven it, leaven it, be like yeast and do something good in that city and somehow through God's work, transform it, 
Jesus, remember, he makes these, be salt and light into the world, right? In a world of darkness, be light. In a world that is decaying, be salt that's a preservative. Do you see? Do you need a lot of salt to preserve a lot of meat? Mm -mm. In fact, there's this moment. Look here. This is fun. In Matthew 13, Jesus told them another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into three seahs of flour until it worked through all the dough. Now, of all the measurements Jesus could have used, of all the measurements he could have chosen, he chose his three seahs. Where, where does that show up? Do you remember? Do you remember? Abraham calls out to his wife, get three seahs. Do you see what's going on? This is a hyperlink. Jesus is too brilliant for this. And he's saying it's like a little bit of yeast that made its way into three seahs of flour. Now, I did some research. Three seahs is 60 pounds of flour, which is 210 cups of flour. 210 cups. That's this. This is 210 cups. It's a lot of flour. I'm going to ask you, how much yeast do you think it takes? According to Baker's and Rachel Ray, who I looked up, how much yeast do you think it takes to leaven 60 pounds of flour? So you go to the store and there's five, ba- five pound bags of flour. That's 12 of those. Is that right? Is that the right math? I'm an English major. Is that right? Yeah. 12 of those lined up. You pour them in. You got 60 pounds of flour. How much yeast would it take? Here's the answer. About nine tablespoons. Nine tablespoons leaven 60 pounds of flour. So it's a little more than a half a cup. It's a half a cup plus a tablespoon, nine sixteenths. So I did the math because again, my wife and I were driving and she's like, well, what does that mean? That's a one to 373 ratio of yeast to flour, which means it does not take a lot of yeast to leaven an entire lot of flour. Does that make sense? It only takes a little bit of faithful covenant partners being in a place to leaven that place, to bring light and goodness, to bring preservation, to bring God's word, to bring his siddakah and mishpat. It takes a few courageous, faithful people. What's that mean for Santa Clara County? This is Santa Clara County. There's 1.928 million people in Santa Clara County as the 2020 census. That means in order to leaven all of Santa Clara County, If that's the flower, if that's the three seas of flower, this is how many Christians, devoted, faithful partners it would take, 5,362. That's the number of yeast that it would take according to Jesus's fun little analogy. Now, is that exact? No, but it is provocative because it doesn't take a lot of people who are faithful, covenant partners who practice Siddiqah and Mishpat, justice and righteousness in a place to bring goodness and the kingdom of heaven to a place. It doesn't take much. 5,362. Which means I could be one of those and you could be one of those. But there's a tragedy in the story of Sodom and you know where this is going. And the tragedy of Sodom is that none can be found. And so the next morning, there's this beautifully, horribly poetic moment when Lot gets up early in the morning and looks from his mountain residence 
down into the city of Sodom. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where they had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. The whole city's gone. There are none that practice justice and righteousness. There are none whose hearts are turned to the way of the Lord. There are none. There are none. And we're left with a terrible, terrible lesson from this story. And that is, it is hopeless. It's hopeless. Human beings cannot, apparently, be faithful covenant partners with God. Lot's corrupted. Sodom's wicked. And even the righteous man in the story, Abraham, you know where the story goes. Does he practice justice and righteousness perfectly all his days? No, he does not. He is sometimes righteous, sometimes just. He is inconsistent. Now, what's the problem with that? I was thinking about this. What happens if you have a judge that's like 70% fair, 70% just? Is that just? No, it's not. What if you have a teacher that loves 70% of her teacher, students and, and works for their benefit? Is that a good teacher? Inconsistency is the problem, is a problem, and we can never be perfectly just. And the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is that none are found to be righteous. This is where humanity is going. We are not, even those of you who are deeply committed to the way of the Lord, are you 100% consistent with being committed to the way of the Lord? I'm not. Are the times when selfishness curves you inward? I know it is for me. Genesis 18 and 19 show us that justice cannot be on this earth. It cannot be achieved. Humans cannot be good enough to achieve it. There are no faithful covenant partners. We're done. Fire and destruction and wickedness is all that we will be on our own. But that's not the end of the story, is it? There's another moment in Israel's history. They have learned this lesson. They have learned this lesson. And they have become themselves as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. And God sends a prophet named Ezekiel who says, Jerusalem, you were supposed to be God's faithful covenant partners. And you have not been. And destruction is coming upon you because you have been just as unfaithful and just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, there's this moment where Ezekiel says, she's your sister city. I mean, do you see how devastating those words would have been? But then the prophet Ezekiel says this, oh, but there's hope. Your hearts are wicked, but what if, what if, what if God did something? What if God changed, what if God changed your heart? Ezekiel 18, the prophet begins this overture of hope. Rid yourselves, he says, of all the offenses you've committed. And then he says, get a new heart and a new spirit. And then he continues on and he says, now, is that easy to, no, you can't do that. So what's going to happen? And then in one of the more beautiful passages in the entirety of scripture, Ezekiel sets the stage for something incredible. He says this, I will spring, this is the Lord speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws, to follow the way of the Lord, to practice Siddiqah and Mishpat. Then you will be my people and I will be your Lord. We're going to fast forward because we have to. Jesus comes and he cleanses us on that cross. He cleanses us from all our iniquity. And then the spirit rushes out. We can have a new heart. Nicodemus says, how can a a man be new? And Jesus is like, it's like being born again. Do you remember that moment in John 3 and 4? There's this moment where Jesus says, I can can do that. And that's what we're going to celebrate here, communion. We live in Silicon Valley, and we are very smart, and we have a lot of money, and there's some brilliance here that's unmatched in the rest of the world. But you know what we can't do? We can't solve the problem of injustice because the problem of injustice runs deeper than the system. It runs deeper even than our society. It runs right into our hearts. And the line of injustice runs right in here. We need King Jesus to cleanse us, to give us new hearts, so that we individually and corporately can be a people who practice Siddhikon Mishpat. It's our only hope. It's our only hope. And what a hope it is. Because Jesus' death and his life and his resurrection ensure that it can happen for us. We have access to a new heart and a new spirit. And that's our hope. And our hope is that God will not stop the good work which he has begun in me and you and you and you and you and you and you and and all of us. And we can truly be with God's spirit and with his help through the work, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, be made clean with a new heart. In order to have the kingdom, we need our king.